0: The stories you read are true. It is a crazy place to live and uh, pray for us out there, the remnant that is still behind. Would you open your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 John? The book of 1 John. We'll be looking tonight from 1 John 4 7 through 12. 1 John 4 7 through 12 tonight. Often at a men's retreat, um, you guys get beat up you get beat up about being a loser husband and a loser dad and a loser Christian and just a loser. You just are losers. I hope not to do that to you tonight. I hope to go in the opposite direction and encourage you tonight i 'm going to challenge you, but I hope to encourage you tonight as we talk about god 's love and uh, the love that we should have for each other it 's raining tonight and um, I hear that, I would say you guys, but we're in Texas, so I hear y'all are going to get two and a half inches of rain. You know, that is our average annual rainfall in Bakersfield, two and a half inches a year. So, if it rained this much in Bakersfield, it would be like Noah's flood. They would be getting out the ark, and it's crazy. So, we'll make it. First John 4, 7. First John Four seven, John writes, "Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God, and knows God." Believe me when I say that I know I'm speaking to a theologically rich church. I know your pastor, uh, Tom Pennington, that, that uh, the, the pastor of the church that sent you out here to the great northwest here. And Northlake, I know your pastor have known and admired and have looked up to him, not just saying that at all, to Dusty for a long time. I know that he preaches the word. I know that this is a theologically rich church. I've also had the privilege of knowing many of you for many years, uh, throughout the years as I come and go from countryside. And I know that this is a loving church cannot wait to be with in church with you on Sunday and see more of that but i know that this is both a theologically rich and a loving church if i had to pick though which is the most difficult is it is it more difficult to be theologically rich and knowledgeable or is it more difficult to be loving i'm going to pick the latter It is more difficult to be biblically loving the way Jesus wants than just to be theologically sound. You know how I know that? Biblically, the Pharisees. The Pharisees had the Bible down. They had the Old Testament down. They had the law down, right? They knew the law. Upwards, downwards, inside out. And yet, did Jesus ever have a problem with those guys? What did he get on them about the fact that they did not have grace and mercy? They had, they had the knowledge, they had the head knowledge, but they did not have grace and mercy and kindness towards other people. And, and Jesus didn't let them off the hook and say, well, you got one of the two. Jesus demands, men, that you and I have both. That we are theologically sound and that we are loving people. I'm going to make the case in the beginning here that, that love is the primary the primary indication that we are a believer. Love is the primary indication that we are a believer. But isn't it true that our rich theology should lead to love or as a seminary prof told me, our, our theology should always lead to doxology. The more we know about who God is should should immediately just lead us into praise. The more we know of who God is, the more it should lead us into our love for him. They both drive each other. When we see that in Paul in Ephesians 1... And Paul describes as he walks his way through Ephesians 1, talking about the Trinity and each person of the Trinity's involvement in our salvation. And he starts with the Father and talks about the Father called us from the foundation of the world. And as he describes what the Father has done in our salvation, he ends that little section by saying what? To the praise of his glorious grace. And then he walks in and talks about what the Son, what Jesus does in our salvation. And he ends that little section by declaring, to the praise of his glorious grace. And then he ends that section talking about what the Holy Spirit does. He seals us for the day of adoption. And he ends that section by saying, what? The praise of his glorious grace. Our theology should always lead to doxology for sure. But. The outline tonight is simple. One, the priority of love. Secondly, the love for siblings. Thirdly, the love for stranger. The priority of love, the love for siblings, the love for the stranger. Again, I want us to be reminded that it is love that is the defining activity of the true believer, the true follower of Jesus. Love. What did Jesus say in John 13? We're going to get to this passage a little bit later. By this, all people will know. That you are my disciples if you have what? Love. If you have love. Not just have love, but love for one another. By this, don't, don't, don't get over that too quickly. By this will all people, inside the church and outside the church, know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus or John would say in our passage, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. What was the key characteristic that John says is, the, is what will define you as a believer? Love. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. In other words, John could say, if you don't love, I don't know if you know God. I can't say that. If there is no love in your life, I'm not banking my salvation on yours, John would say. Love is the defining activity of a true Christ follower. But notice, men, let us love one another, for love is from God. The whole idea of love, is it something that two cavemen made up, you know, or, or, or mankind has made up? God defined love. God invented love. God created love. John says, "Brother, we ought to love one another for love is from God. John would go on in verse 8 and say it even more clearly. Whoever, anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. God is love. One of the most Common phrases in all of the scripture, certainly in the Old Testament, is this phrase. Moses says in Exodus 34: The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Not just has a little love, but what was the word? Abounding in steadfast love. David would say it in Psalm 103: He made known his ways to Moses. His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You love it? He is merciful and gracious. Grace, getting something that you don't deserve. Mercy, not getting what you do deserve. We don't want fair, do we? When it comes to God, we don't want fair. Because what is fair? Hell is fair. Hell is the most fair place on earth. You want to be judged by who you are and who I am? That's hell. I I don't want fair, do you? I want grace. I want to get what I don't deserve. And I want mercy. I don't want what I do deserve. God's wrath. God is abounding in steadfast love. Because God is love because he abounds in steadfast love it would just be like god to show us that love and how did god express that love to us in the most profoundest of ways through jesus christ titus said it or paul said it this way to titus in titus 2:11 for the grace of god appeared do you love that the grace of god appeared of course it appeared in whom in the person of Jesus Christ Paul would say it this way in 2 Corinthians 5 21 God made him who had no sin be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God think about that verse God made him who had no sin That that's a a short audience isn't it God made him who had no sin I mean Dusty's close but God made him who had no sin. Who's that? Jesus. Right in Hebrews, thus he's preaching through. He was like us in every way, yet without sin. God made him who had no sin be sin for us. Jesus didn't become a sinner on the cross, he was never a sinner. He he never sinned. The Westminster Confession of Faith tells us Jesus never sinned in act, attitude, or even in his nature. God made him who had no sin be sin for us. I love how John MacArthur says it. God treated Jesus on the cross as if Jesus had committed every sin by every person who would ever believe when in fact Jesus had committed none of them. Think about that. God treated Jesus on the cross. As if Jesus had committed every sin by every person who would ever believe when in fact Jesus had committed none of them. Or put it more personally, that verse means God treated Jesus on the cross as if Jesus had lived your life. Is that fair? That's not fair, is it? Jesus had no sin in his life. Never sinned. He went to the cross, the perfect spotless lamb, God made him who had no sin be sin for us. Jesus took the wrath of God, John's going to say in a moment again, the propitiation for our sins. God made him who had no sin be sin for us. God treated Jesus on the cross as if he had lived our life. Thankfully, the verse doesn't end though, does it? God made him who had no sin be sin for us so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God the doctrine of imputation pure and simple is it not god takes our sin the moment that we trust him has our lord and our savior god takes our sin and imputes it it's an accounting term he he credits it to jesus's account treats jesus as if he had lived your life and then he takes jesus's righteousness and credits that to your account god treats Jesus as if he lived your life so that he can in turn then treat you as if you had lived Jesus' life. That's amazing grace, is it not? That's what I would call love. Love. God didn't have to do that. He didn't have to send his only, one and his only son. He didn't have to. Jesus didn't have to come. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross and become sin for us amazing reality of the gospel though, isn't it? That our sin could be imputed to Jesus and his righteousness as Martin Luther called it, an alien righteousness, because it's not our righteousness it's, an, it's a righteousness that comes from outside of ourselves could be imputed accredited to us so that now when God looks at us, he sees you as the perfect righteousness of God amazing amazing grace that doesn't cause us to break out into doxology and to thank God for what he has done. I, I don't know what does. Priority of love is the defining characteristic of a true follower of Jesus. Where does that love come from? It comes from God who is love. God, being loved, showed us his love by sending his own Son, who died on the cross, and now Jesus can forgive us of our sins, wipe us clean though we our sins were red as scarlet, we can be white as snow. What an amazing God we have amazing God. John would say in first John four eleven, "Dear friends, if God loved us in this way." so also we must love one another. It's the biggest no-brainer in the world for John. If uh, Upon hearing that, that Jesus has come and become the propitiation for our sins and has died on the cross for our sins, we who were absolutely without hope in the world, John then says, Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, so also we must love one another. How can can you not? To love is to know God and act God. And so John will say in verse 12, no one has ever seen God at any time. That's true. No one has ever seen God at any time. But notice what John says. How, How has God made himself visible? Outside of the person of Jesus, notice what John says. No one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another... God's love resides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Do you understand what John is saying? No one has seen God. And outside of Jesus Christ, we have an opportunity to communicate, to to actually have people see God. If they see you loving one another, they will see God. We display God in our home, in our church. The world around us as we love God, as we love people, and as we love Him. Beloved, the world is not looking for us to be creative. The world is not looking for us to be snazzy. It's not looking for us to to have the, the best music. Randy's awesome. Not looking for us to put on the greatest drama plays or create the best art, create we're never going to wow the world, but anything that we do in those realms, they'll put on better concerts, they'll put on a better light show, they'll put on a better whatever. We're not, we're not asked to do those things. What we are asked, in fact, what we are commanded to do, to display God to the world around us, Amongst other things, primarily, is to love and to love well. And as we do that, the world around us will take notice and go, "How are those people doing? There, there is no racism in the church. There, there is no bigotry in the church. There is no misogyny in the church. There is no elder abuse in the church. They're not looking down on kids in the church. They just love each other. I want that. Jesus tells us and John tells us that's how it's supposed to be. We're not going to trick anybody into the kingdom. God sovereignly will call his people. But our part is to love for sure. Well, certainly the aim of discipleship to Jesus is to become love. Not just being a theologian, but love. So, secondly... How do we love? Or who are we to love? Primarily two groups of people. One, we are to love our siblings. Look at First John. Turn back in your Bible a couple of chapters. The 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 7 through 10 with me. 1 John 2, 7 through 10. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. What's the beginning? Old Testament, way, way back there. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. How is it a new commandment? Because it's in him, in who? In Jesus. This this old commandment of loving God and loving people has now been manifested to you in the person of Jesus Christ. Now you have seen it on display. We're going to look at that. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What Jesus would say, I am the light of the world. Whoever says he is the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. Key to that passage is this. Those who desire to be followers of Jesus will be servants. Will be servants. It's interesting. John's writing that passage. Of course, John was also the guy that wrote the Gospel of John. In the other synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when we get to the Last Supper, those writers rightly focus on, really, the bread and the wine, that portion of the Last Supper. But John doesn't do that. When John writes about the Last Supper in John 13, He doesn't focus on the bread and the wine. He focuses on two other things. He's focused on the basin and the towel. He mentions that part, but he goes into far greater depth on the basin and the towel. It's almost as if John knows, you guys already heard about that part. I want to focus on this part. And this key component that Jesus exemplifies for his disciples the basin and the towel, when he washes their feet. Remember, men, Jesus loves his disciples in a way that they are completely unworthy of. He loves his disciples in a way they are completely unworthy of. They will all leave him. One already has, right? He's going to go betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, but they're all going to betray him. They're all going to leave him. They will all break his heart. They will all abandon him. And he knows that. Jesus isn't caught off guard. Jesus isn't Pollyanna about this night. They think, oh, these are my buddies. And we're going to sit here and sing Kumbaya. I'm going to wash their feet. This is going to be a really cool, like, man experience. Jesus washes their feet Knowing they are going to abandon him. Knowing them, humanly speaking, they're going to break his heart. Knowing that they're going to betray him. Knowing that they're going to leave him. He knows that. It's important. And he does it anyways. In fact, I would argue, he does it because he knows they're going to do that. He's setting an amazing example for those men who are going to be the leaders of the church and for us who are commanded to be the leaders of our family and leaders of church in some way. He does it so that we will have that kind of example. This is what I set for you, Jesus is going to say. And we are to love our siblings, our brothers and sisters in Christ, by the way of the towel. We are to love them by the way of the towel. You love even when you're hurt, when you're stepped on, abandoned, denied. You still love as a servant and you wash their feet. Can you imagine, men, if we really did that? Can you imagine what our family would be like if we really did that? Can you imagine what our churches would be like if we really did that? Some of you have been in this church for a short period of time, and this church has had amazing joy and unity, and I pray to God that it continues, and it can if we follow these scriptures. Some of you (coughs) have been in other churches, some of you I know have been around long enough to have been in some doozy of churches, some church splits, some arguments, some crazy stuff that's happened in church. Am I right? People that you never thought would do that. People you never thought would say that. People, churches that you never thought would get to that place. They're like hyenas eating each other. That happens in the church. I pray it will never happen here and it's not supposed to not supposed to Jesus said at the end of that night, the end of the last supper, after he washed their feet knowing they were going to do all that, Jesus tells them this in John 13 a new command I give you love one another as, listen to what he says as I have loved you So you must love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Please see that. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In the context in which it is said. Jesus just washed their feet knowing that they're going to abandon him. Knowing that they're going to deny him. Knowing that they're going to leave him. Knowing that they're going to hurt him. And Jesus looks those men in the eye and says, You must love one another as I have loved you. Isn't it easy, men, to love the people that love us? It's easy to love people that love us. It's easy to love people that just pat us on the back all the time or admire us or say nice things to us. It's a whole lot harder to love people That rub you the wrong way, is it not? Well, that harder to love people who maybe have a different political bent. Maybe from a different state like California. Those people are hard to love. I get it. The context here, though, is loving in the most profound way. Washing the feet of those who have hurt you you know you you put me on a short term missions trip I'm a saint put me out to the, uh, the homeless shelter I can rock it for that hour no problem I got that I got a halo on my head for that time get me home somehow I turn demon possessed At church, I can I can be great. Men's retreat, I can come across the greatest guy, maybe. Like this guy's boring, but I can come across as a nice guy. So hard though, isn't it? In our home. Or with our wife. With our kids. But there's ever a place that we are supposed to be loving, isn't it? There. Doesn't it need to start there? Will our wife hurt us? Yep. Have we hurt her? Yep. Is she going to hurt us again? Yep. Are we going to hurt her? Yep. Our kids hurt us? Yep. Have we hurt our kids? Yep. And Jesus says, as I have loved you. You think, think you and I are ever like perfect saints to Jesus? We just follow through on everything we ever say to Jesus. Follow through on everything he asks us to do. We're just like, oh man, I'm glad I got that guy on my team. They're awesome. We can be honest. You know your heart and I know mine. Let's be honest. We can be the biggest jerks ever, right? Especially to Jesus who knows. Everything that we've done. Nobody else knows. Jesus knows. And not only our actions, he knows what's in our heart, which is even worse. Jesus knows what's in our heart. He knows our actions. People know and people don't know. And God forbid anybody should ever know. That's the Jesus that went to the cross to pay for all of your sins and mine. That's the Jesus that says, I'm going to wash your feet. I know you're going to hurt me. You hurt me before, you're going to hurt me again. I love you. And as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Amen. if it doesn't start in our home, and I'm preaching to myself, as much as I'm preaching to you, if I can't love my wife, And I can't love my four kids, first and foremost, as Jesus loves me unconditionally. Servant leadership. Absolutely treating them as more important than myself. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did? He's God, and he treats these men as more important than himself. Men he knew have hurt him and will hurt him again. Absolutely imperfect. Peter, within 24 hours, is going to deny three times that he even knows Jesus. Third time, he's going to curse about it. Think that's a, that's a, uh uh-oh to Jesus? He knows exactly what Peter's going to do. And Jesus washes his feet anyways. Men, you and I... of those people that are around us. To wash the feet of our wife. Wash the feet of our kids. To wash the feet of each other. Our siblings, our brothers and sisters, your brothers that are in this room and, and that are not in this room, we are commanded to love one another. To wash each other's feet. Some men in here have hurt you or will hurt you. Wash their feet. You have no, no wash their feet. You don't know what they say. Wash their feet. I've got to remind myself so often, and it is so much easier said than done. Years of ministry, people say the kindest things to you when you're a pastor. Get the greatest emails. And you just think, Just keep washing their feet. Just wash their feet. Just take the high road. Wash their feet. Remember these words. Jesus said, If I then, your teacher and your Lord, if I then am your rabbi and your God, have washed your feet. other people's feet. Beloved, just think for a minute again about how powerful it would be at Northlake Bible Church if you really love each other like Jesus loves you. Remember how powerful that would be in the life of this church. You have great preaching, and you need that. You have great music. Point to the same guy. You have that. You're going to have that. You're going to be theologically taught. I'm not downplaying that for a second. You must have that. But we got to have both. Can you imagine how powerful it is? How powerful it is to have a church that is theologically deep and sincerely loving? But too often you have churches that are one or the other. They lean one or the other. Like, yeah, we really love each other, but I can't talk my way theologically out of a paper bag. Or I'm so theologically deep, you know who I'm against and what I'm against. I'm against everybody, and I'm against everything. Well, how about being theologically rich? Students of God's word and sincere love for the brethren. Where does the love flow from? Not just from ourselves, but because we know how God has loved us. We understand the gospel. We understand the sacrifice that was made for us. And because we understand how God has so loved us, so we want to love one another. It's a natural outflow of that. Can I just remind you of the words of Paul in Philippians 2? Consider one another. Regard one another. It has more important than yourself. You Remember, Paul goes on in that same passage to use who is an example? Jesus. Consider Jesus. I just want to point you to Jesus. Who, who though he was God... Did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a what? A servant, a doulos, a slave. Paul's example, John's example is Jesus. If Jesus did that, and he did, and he commands us to do the same, let us do the same. Beloved, can you imagine what it would be like if you really consider your wife more important than yourself? If she were to really consider you more important than herself. She can control what she does. As much as we want to try, and much as she wants to try. You and I know. make a commitment. I'm going to. No matter what she does or doesn't do. No matter how she acts or doesn't act, I'm going to commit to symbolically, if you will, wash her feet. I'm going to symbolically serve her. I'm going to realistically serve her. I'm going to consider her more important than myself. did that within the church amongst the siblings here. We really consider each other more important than ourselves. How powerful it would be. There is a priority of love. We are to love our siblings and finally we are to love the stranger. The writer of the Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 13 verse 2 you know this passage do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares I just want to focus on the first part of that I'm going to let Dusty answer all of your questions about angels and how that works afterwards as he knows all he knows exactly what The writer of the Hebrews is talking about there. But notice in the first phrase, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. I had the privilege this weekend of staying with some great friends of mine who are refugees from California, refugees from our church in Bakersfield who came here to North Lake, Texas, my good friends Mike and Brenda Payne. And uh, Brenda was actually my secretary for 13 years at our church in California, and then they moved here. They actually called and said, hey, we're in Northlake. Do you know of a good church around here? As a matter of fact, I do. It's like two minutes from the school. Brenda, absolutely, Mike's not bad, but Brenda absolutely has the gift of hospitality. I mean, it's unbelievable. I walk in, and there's this whole room set up and towels, and I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And sometimes, we might be tempted to think hospitality is just that. Hospitality means I've got to have people over to my house. Hospitality is about inviting people over and doing things. Who is the greatest human that ever lived? i say it this way. Who is the most hospitable person who ever lived? Doesn't it, doesn't it have to be Jesus? Was Jesus a hospitable person? Yeah, Jesus said... The Son of Man has no home. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So we can't use the excuse that, well, i got to have a nice house. If I had a nicer house, I'd have people over. If I had a cleaner house, I'd have people over. You don't need a house to be hospitable. You don't need a nice place to be hospitable to strangers. The command is to be hospitable to strangers wherever you are. It's taking the love outside the walls of the church. It's taking this love that we are to have for God and from God and for one another and taking it outside to the stranger. Not just to the sibling, but to the stranger. Remember what Jesus talked about in, G- in Luke 15. I think three, one parable in three parts. Yeah, have the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost son. Jesus is preoccupied in those parables, in those stories, with what? With the person that's lost, with the stranger. Again, it, he tells that. Those, those stories or that parable, those parables, whatever the case might be. Why? In reaction to the Pharisees who are grumbling that Jesus is hanging around the sinners and the tax collectors. That Jesus is being hospitable to the stranger. To those men and women who were in no way, shape, or form part of the church. No way, shape, or form part of the local synagogue. These people were absolutely pagans. They were absolutely sinners. And Jesus shows them the exact same love to them that he does to his own disciples. Make no mistake, he doesn't doesn't give in to their sin. He He doesn't admire their sin. He doesn't even confirm their sin. He doesn't say, hey, go live however you want. woman caught in adultery is a great example of that's a real story. It certainly rings true of Jesus, does it not? John 8, here this woman is caught in adultery and what's Jesus' words to her? As he shows her grace and mercy, he's without sin, cast the first stone and everybody walks away. What does he say to her? Go, but sin no more. He acknowledges her sin. woman at the well in Samaria. He acknowledges to her, you've had a number of husbands and you're living with a dude that ain't your husband right now. But he doesn't banish her, he honors her. Somehow he is very hospitable to the stranger. And then we ought to learn something from that. Jesus' point in all of this is that mature compassion loves and moves beyond Within our circles and moves to those on the outside. Remember Jesus' words in Luke 6:36: be merciful even to those who are merciful, or even as your Father, excuse me, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And in the context, who's Jesus talking about? Loving your enemies, those outside the church. In other words, God's love doesn't stay home. It, it goes beyond the walls. God's love doesn't just stay home, it goes beyond the walls. Brothers, how are you treating the stranger? I'll ask you an honest question. Do you even know any? Do you even know any? I'm not I'm not talking, do you work with any? I know you work with some. But do you do you know some strangers? Are you friends with any of them? Like, do you do things with them? Believe me, I know how easy it is, especially as a pastor, that this is my circle. This is my world. My siblings, if you will. My brothers and sisters in Christ. This is my world. i have known over 38 years that it's not just pastors who have that temptation. That this is our world. This is the only people that I hang with. These are the only people that are my friends are right here in my circle, within the walls. Do you know any strangers? Would you consider any of them your friends? Would any of them consider you their friend? Jesus absolutely had friends, if you will, that were strangers. Absolutely, they would consider Jesus a friend. They had no problem coming up to them. They knew when they come up to him, they weren't going to be judged. They they knew he wasn't going to go along with their sin. They, They weren't naive about that. But somehow Jesus was very comfortable in that world. Never affirming the sin, but living among it. And somehow Jesus made them comfortable to be around him. Isn't that not what we're called to do? To be a light in the world, to be salt in the earth, to love the stranger? A few years ago I was really convicted about this. And I, I thought do, do I do I really have any friends outside of the church? To my shame, I really could, I, I had acquaintances, but I really honestly could not tell you more than one or two, if that. Now I was giving myself really a lot of leniency. Friends that were outside the church. How, how can this be? This is not right. How, how do I do this? do like to fish really like to duck hunt that's only a few months of the year i I find some fishing buddies i can find some duck hunting buddies you know it's kind of you're in a duck blind you're kind of by yourself got me and my dog and my boys and you know what can i do socially that would enable me to meet people outside of the walls of my church i ride my bike I love riding my bike. Not just you know cruiser, but I mean like roadie. I like riding my bike. I ride five, six days a week. I like to climb big mountains. I'm crazy. I mean I'm I'm crazy in the worst sense. Like that, my wife thinks you are nuts. You like climbing this mountain for four hours, like just going up for four. I love it. Let me suffer for four hours climbing it. 7,000 foot mountain. I love that. It take me an hour to get down and four hours to get up there. I love it. I started meeting these people. I started finding ways to finding guys. to go to the bike shop and I find these guys. Now oh, you guys are riding uh, you know, is, you, would you mind if I tagged long and now if I had my phone on me and sitting over there I'm in a WhatsApp thread with 128 guys and 126 of them don't go to church. And every day, we're talking about what the riot is tomorrow. Not that 128 guys show up every day, but we're, we're talking. And some of these men over the last several years, four or five years, have become, honestly, some of my best friends. I went through a horrible season last summer, and some of these guys, they were there. They were there. They are my friends. And I really believe they would say, hey, Brian's my friend. And they know who I am. When I show up, I ride up on my bike, i oh, preachers here. Yep, preachers here. And I've had a wonderful opportunity to communicate the gospel to many of them, climbing up those big mountains. We've got nothing else to do suffering. suffer. And trying to get your breath, but... Beloved, Do you know strangers? Are you involved in their lives? Do you hang out with them at all? Do they want to hang out with you? And if not, why not? If our goal in life is to become like Jesus, and it is, shouldn't we God with all of our lives shouldn't we want to love our siblings with all of our lives and shouldn't we want to love the stranger with all of our lives how else are we going to win them outside of God's sovereignty God uses the means by which God in his sovereignty calls people to himself often more often than not is how how did you come through relationships God, use us as we love the people outside the walls of the church in this growing, amazing community that you have the privilege of being in. There's 11 acres sitting over there ready to get built on. And a whole bunch of people coming from California and a whole lot of other places around the world that need Jesus. And God's asking us to love them and befriend them. Not just so that we can bring them to Jesus, so we can just invest in their lives be friends. And hopefully, prayerfully one day, lead them to Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, only love gets close enough to know. Man, I'm telling you, as I got to know some of these guys, I was so, honestly, to goodness I see some of them they're my age they have women that they're living with they're sleeping with and I'm like you guys old enough to know better and then I'm like what are just sinners doing what sinners do like okay I get it and then I hear their story I'm get close enough to know their story close enough to get inside their lives and break down the shell and then I'm like I'm far more compassionate to them far more understanding of these guys to so hear their story. I leave you again as we close with John's words in 1 John 4 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that you will make love the priority of your life, a priority of your life, that the love that you have will come from your understanding your realization every day of the gospel, what was given to you, and that the love that is from God, that who he is and what he's given to you would just pour forth naturally as you love your siblings, it begins in our home, it begins with our wife and with our kids, and it, and it spreads out to the men that are here and your brothers and sisters in this church. and would we, would we wash each other's feet? We genuinely consider one another as more important than ourselves. Think how powerful that would be. Remember the words of Jesus, "As I have loved you, so you must love." one another. And then thirdly, I pray that we would love the stranger. We would not ignore the stranger. We would not just judge the stranger. But we would know them. We would make time to get involved in people outside of our four walls at the church. Be involved in their lives. We would have friends. They would see us as friends. And of course, prayerfully consider pray for those opportunities to tell them about this amazing God who has this love, this amazing Jesus who died for them on the cross. I pray that Northlake Bible Church would be a church that is both theologically deep and rich and has a tremendous love for God, for each other, and for this community and the world around you. I pray that would God, thank you for our time. Thanks for these men. I know it was so distracting with the rain and the noise. And I pray, Lord, that somehow you spoke through your word, through all of that distraction. I pray, Lord, for this church. Thank you for Dusty. Thank you for the elders. Thank you for the leadership that's here. I pray, Lord, your blessing on these men. I pray, Lord, your blessing on this church, on these men that are here. God, we love you love each other, we love the stranger, that you would be glorified above all things, and I pray these things in Jesus' name.